0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. My name is Zach Groff, and I am your host. And today, joining me in the studio are Dr. Rick Phillips and Mr. Mel Duncan of Second Presbyterian Church here in Greenville, South Carolina. Dr. Phillips is the senior pastor at Second Pres, and Mr. Duncan is a ruling elder as well as full-time church administrator. And They are spending some time with me today to talk about the Gospel Reformation Network. So without further ado, what is the Gospel Reformation Network, men?
1: First of all, Zach, thanks for having us. It's uh, always a joy to be here at Greenville Seminary, and uh, everything looks great out here, so it's wonderful to be here. Oh, thanks. Uh, Gospel Reformation Network began as a group of like-minded PCA ministers who were concerned at the way the gospel was being defined, uh, particularly in such a way that was focused exclusively on justification. And I think there was concern that uh, the relationship between justification and sanctification was not being presented as, as, as holy as it ought to be, W-H-O-L-L-Y, as completely. Uh, in short, there was a concern about the, what's called the contemporary grace movement and uh expressions of uh, of of Christian liberty of the gospel that did not seem to take seriously were're not emphasizing in a way that we think biblically it should be uh, holiness gospel holiness uh, uh, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness as that would probably be our theme verse, if anything from uh, Titus chapter two, and so we were concerned that. The 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 message that was really getting traction in the PCA was in some cases even inimical to sanctification. So that if you if you called for obedience to the Bible, well, that's legalism. Or if you uh, if you if you emphasize the importance of effort in sanctification, that would be called legalism. Well, those are not those are not legalism. this is biblical teaching. Uh, the the use of you know apostolic exhortations in preaching there was a denigration of that uh at least in in many respects and so we were really we were really encouraged from the very start we 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 made the decision early on that we were going to be a proclamatory and not a political organization
0: mm.
1: grn has no private meetings to develop you know general assembly strategies in terms of you know what what pol- political strategy is going to be done we hold public events within the PCA. Another thing we did from the beginning, we were all PCA ministers. We said, let's just, let's just this thing, let's do in the PCA. There's other things we do outside the PCA. So it's particularly focused on the Week of General Assembly. Mm-hmm. Although in the last couple of years, people like Mel particularly have given us a little bit of infrastructure so that the website's a lot more functional. But we, hold, we host, during the Week of General Assembly, a wonderful di- uh, lunch that is packed out every year, and we'll we'll talk about that because you, your hearers will want to come this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've often done seminars throughout the General Assembly week, so I, I think there is a from that initial beginning, which was really on gospel sanctification. We're very concerned that particularly young people were being taught a version of the gospel that was not transformative, and so to put it in more theological terms. We believe there's a forensic, a legal aspect to the gospel, justification. And we don't deny that. We, we celebrate justification as much as the contemporary grace movement does. We just believe that the transformative aspect of the gospel is not only just as valid, but just as important. I, I like to put it this way. It is very good news that my sins have been forgiven and that I have been justified through faith alone. Amen to that good news. It is, however, also good news that the Holy Spirit is working in me And so that I am being empowered, though I have a sin nature, I am being empowered by the Holy Spirit that there's a principle of righteousness in my life that can and must find expression. Brother, that's good news. Amen. And so like college students uh, should not be told that effort in obedience is legalism. And so we, we... We've been really encouraged, frankly, by the response we've gotten in the PCA. And probably Mel's a better person to talk about some of the activities going on now. But that's that's how we started, and that's that's how we got to where we are today.
2: Zach, uh, it's good to be with you today. always enjoy being out here in Taylor's on the campus of GPTS. Nice to get to know you. Appreciate your ministry. The Gospel Reformation Network, as Rick has already said, is mainly a collection of ministers, but it's increasingly a collection of churches Mm -hmm. that has a desire to promote a clear understanding of sanctification. This past year we have broadened our distinctives and our purpose statement just a little bit. Our purpose statement, which the Council recently uh, wrote, was to cultivate healthy Reformed churches in the Presbyterian Church in America. And so we're interested, primarily we began with this conversation about sanctification, But sanctification affects all aspects of the Christian life and all aspects of the church life. And so if you go to our website, gospelreformation.net, you'll see a number of different distinctives that have been written and are being written about, which flush out sort of the broader vision now of the, of the GRN. Rick, maybe you'd want to talk about some of these.
1: Yeah, what, so what is, as Mel says, sanctification is highly related to what is a healthy properly functioning Reformed church. Uh, and so one of them is biblical fidelity and confessional integrity. We want to promote uh, the idea of confessionalism. Uh, confessionalism is not something to, to flee or to be a little embarrassed about. We praise the Lord that we are the heirs and we represent a confessional heritage in which the, the church has fleshed out a very extensive and very clear uh doctrinal understanding and not only message but also in terms of methods and so we believe that to be confessionally transparent to to have a strong confessional integrity is a way of being biblically healthy uh and so we want to encourage people there's been kind of a polemic that oh if you're you're biblical you're not confessional no The, the confession is us being honest and thorough and mutually accountable within a denomination uh, for what the Bible teaches. And so, uh, you know, there's this kind of view today, uh, and no doubt it's propagated in many places of the PCA, that in order to be effective for the gospel, you have to craft a unique gospel intervention and strategy for your unique microculture. And if that is the case, being confessional is a threat, because it takes away your ability to craft kind of a unique cocktail of of your message and method we think that that is a mistaken assessment
2: now rick we're on the confessing our hope podcast and we're speaking to the gpts family out there we know this is a commitment for them maybe you could talk a little bit about why is this a problem in the pca that we don't promote a confessional identity
1: well i think one of the reasons i think it's helpful to know this why there is resistance against Really having a confessional identity where we really mean it and we act like we mean it, is that that would take away my local flexibility to put together the cocktail that's going to make the gospel come alive in my little microculture. Well, our response would be that is a severe overanalysis. There is a difference between New York City and Greenville, South Carolina. Don't I know it? But uh, there's far more in common. You know. Biblical anthropology, the the problem they have in Seattle, as well as in Wichita Falls, is unregeneration, is bondage to sin. Um, And so the doctrinal message that we deliver, contrary to this gospel ecosystems approach, we do not believe that it varies, and it's only effective as it's tailor-made. We believe that what, what the world needs to hear is God as Creator, God, uh, man as a sinner, God as Judge. This would be our, you know, this would be the faith of our fathers. Uh, Christ as an effectual Redeemer, the, the the power of the Holy Spirit through the ordinary means of grace, that we would live uh, no longer under bondage to sin in the world. Uh, you know, I like to make the case that the Apostle Paul uh, ministers in a extraordinarily Diverse number of settings. The difference between Corinth and Athens versus Ephesus. Ephesus is magical, occult. Corinth is sexual, debased. You know, uh, Athens is the idolatry of the mind. Uh, his presentation strategy is going to have some variance, but not his doctrine, not his philosophy of ministry. You go, oh no, it's all different. No, in every case, he had a word-centered philosophy of ministry. Well, in Athens, he didn't leave with the word. Yeah, but he got there, and so Paul's. We look at the Bible and we say, okay, so there is a fixed message. There is a, a theological message, and so we want to be robust. And so uh, counter to this idea that being confessional will keep us from being missionally effective, because I've got to have the flexibility of knowing what to compromise, what to hold fast to, what to highlight, what to, what to put in the background. No, we actually believe that the, the faith of our fathers and of course we confess Westminster standards, that theology is the message that every man needs to hear. If I'm in, you know, Guatemala, I'm gonna speak Spanish. Yeah. So, So we all contextualize. But there's this radical, missional, doctrinal contextualization view that says we make the gospel effective by crafting exactly what to foreground, what to background, all those sorts of things. Uh, in in a certain cultural setting, we want to say no actually it, it's it's the it's the it's the whole message of of God as creator and redeemer of christ's saving work man's sin god's judgment the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. the blood of Jesus needs to be highlighted all the time uh mm-hmm. propitiation uh redemption uh the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and so Uh, We want to promote confidence. See, what it really is, is confidence in theology over sociology. Let me just say everything I just said differently. (laughs) That when we say we want a robust confessional integrity, we're saying we believe in the power of the Word of God with a message the contours of which are theologically shaped by the Scriptures. That is what we want people to rely on. And we think it will be, well, it, it, it is... That will actually do the work of God rather than a sociologically shaped, sociologically driven system and ministry approach whereby we're students of the culture and then we, we bring the Bible in. But what's really going on is a cultural activity through sociology. No, we, we want to encourage churches to have a biblical fidelity and confessional integrity. And integrity, it's not just integrity, sufficiency. Yeah. That is the efficacy. Now it may not take place in two months, mm-hmm. but uh the the faith of our fathers, the word of God that Peter says you've been born again, not of perishable seed, not of sociological methods, but of imperishable, the supernatural see God's supernatural blessing through the Holy Spirit of a theologically shaped biblical word. That's that's what Christ is doing in the world.
0: And that's deeply encouraging to a young man training for ministry like myself and for the other guys here at the seminary because what that tells us is God will call us to a place. We may not be familiar with the place, but if we're familiar with his word and with his timeless truths, we'll have something of value to bring to those people regardless of where it is. Now, on the flip side, however what you're not saying is we, we can go blindly into a place right, and not. be ignorant because Calvin even says in the Institutes, or calls us, I think, I think in the Institutes, to be students of God's special revelation in the Word, but also of his general revelation, yeah, and, 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 the book and, of nature.
1: And right? every emphasis can be contorted. So let's, let's avoid the contortion of this biblical confessional emphasis, a theological versus a sociological emphasis. You need to get to know people. Yeah. You know, people... I have learned that if they are persuaded that you love them, they are more amenable to listen to what you have to say. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, you've got to do the work of the ministry. And, yes, uh, to be aware of what's happening in the culture. But I do want to say this. The Bible, will, the Bible does give us awareness. When Paul goes into Athens, his understanding of the problem is not coming from Aristophanes. It's coming from Isaiah. You know, he's, he has a paroxysm when he sees their idolatry. So it was not Paul's sociological insight that gave him his assessment of the problem in, uh, in Athens. It was the Word of God. So, of course, we, 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 we're working with people. We have to, we have to understand them and, and be understood. We want to say the, the sufficiency of the ministry of the Word with a theologically determined rather than a culturally sociologically determined message uh, is what is going to accomplish the work of God through the power of the Holy Spirit.
0: And I think the rest of the emphases, if you go to to the website that Mel mentioned and you look at their their core values or just list of, um, yeah. of, of primary concerns, you'll see it all flows out of that first point. Yeah. Everything else comes out of this uh, confessional understanding and, and highly vaulted sense of the Bible's sufficiency. And it really drives what GRN is doing, at least in the PCA, now, now, what Mel? Maybe you can speak to this. What kinds of activities it, does GRN engage in? You mentioned the luncheon at, sure. at, at PCA at, at GA. What else goes on? What kind of resources are out there?
2: Well, we've done a number of things. Zach, the, in 2013, we had a, a series of co- uh, seminars and a conference before General Assembly that actually met here in Greenville. Uh, each year, many of our GRN uh, council members are involved in seminars at GA. In addition to our luncheon this year, there's going to be a general assembly-wide seminar on Thursday, June the 15th. Uh, Kevin DeYoung will join our convener John Payne and other council members uh, to talk about uh, not only sanctification but the need to promote healthy, reformed churches within the PCA. Our luncheon this year is June the 14th, again at the Greenville, excuse me, Greensboro Convention Center. If you're coming, go now to the the GRN website, gospelreformation.net. Sign up for that luncheon. Kevin DeYoung will be speaking. There may be a free book g- giveaway uh, for those of you who are interested in such things. Uh, but we also been doing some other things. We've been reaching out to some of the seminaries that serve the PCA, and uh, and going there and meeting the students. And uh, I think we were at Westminster this yeah. spring and. I think Dr. Reeder went down uh, along with Dr. Brian Cosby to Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham just talking with the students, particularly those who are PCA-oriented about the, the need to pursue sanctification in their teaching, not on their own lives, but as they teach people how to grow in grace, as well as our new emphasis on growing and cultivating healthy Reformed churches. Uh, Our website is a living source of information. We have dozens of videos and interviews and seminars and increasingly articles. Uh, We hope that that's going to be a resource for people who are trying to navigate the contemporary grace movement. One of the things as a ruling elder and a Sunday school teacher in a local PCA church, one of the things that has been most helpful to me is that I've come to have a, a very deep appreciation for some of the contemporary grace movement people's view of justification these folks really oh, sure. do love justification and we want to help uh this conversation go forward by acknowledging that and i think one of the the yeah, best our problem is not their view of justification well i think that's one of our view of justification that's right i think one of one of our finest moments rick was i'm thinking after a seminar you did a couple of summers ago at a yeah. ga one of our friends in the contemporary grace movement came up to us and said dr phillips that was the best description of me that I've ever heard, and he meant that as a compliment, didn't he? I think he did. And we were we were trying to helpfully uh, affirm where we can that that we appreciate their view of justification. We just want to go a little bit further in having a more biblical view of sanctification.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We're not trying to shame or defeat anybody. We think there's an emphasis
1: that needs a little more attention, and and now we do think there's we need you know. A denomination like the PCA, which is a fairly diverse group, fairly large, needs models for what is biblically healthy. And so we're hoping to provide those sorts of things. Uh, the Kevin DeYoung Luncheon, it's the GRN Luncheon. Kevin will be speaking at it. Uh, that'll be a great
2: rallying time. And
1: what is, what is that, Wednesday of General That's Assembly? That's
2: Wednesday, June the 14th at noon. Do you register online? Yes, you register online. And... Honestly, it's almost full. So we need you to go. If you're coming to GA, we need you to go right now to the website and register for that.
0: And is that only open to ordained men in the PCA or anyone that's going to be at GA for whatever reason? You do
2: not have to be ordained uh, into ministry to come to that event, Zach. (laughs) Uh, If you're a spouse and you're uh, lovingly and gratefully hanging out with your husband that week, you're welcome to come to
0: that too. Wonderful. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And, and, just uh, for our listeners' benefits, there's a lot of, of events going on in the PCA world that are in this strain and, and aren't formally linked to GRN, but informally so through a lot of personal connections like the Twin Lakes Fellowship and the Evening of Confessional Concern and uh, the prayer meeting Monday evening of GA. Uh, and uh, and of course Greenville Seminary's breakfast on that Wednesday as well. So avail yourself of these opportunities and and keep uh you know keep your eyes open. A lot of these things, if you're not going to be at GA, a lot of these things are simulcast or made available after the fact as well.
2: Zach, if you're a part of the PCA, and I would assume many of your listeners are, the joy of being with friends yeah. once a year after gathered worship sometimes in the hallway or in wherever the worship is, is one of the nice moments in the year for the church. It happens in every denomination. These events that Greenville Seminary and the GRN are sponsoring are another way that you can really bond and connect with brothers in the Lord and sisters in the Lord that are united to the effort to serve Christ in the local church. And so I would agree with you. Take advantage of those events. Uh, Dr. Phillips and I are also involved in the Evening of Confessional Concern. If you come early to GA on Monday night, we sponsor a prayer meeting. No, no, let's put it this way. Please come early yes, on yes. Monday night and come to our prayer meeting. Yes, and and at that prayer meeting, we will read scripture, sing, and talk about what's happening at this week's GA. Uh,
1: this is our fourth or fifth year doing yeah. it,
2: and we came up with it.
1: Uh, Jeff Gleason and Mel and I have been privileged to lead this, and... Uh, um, obviously, there are confessional men who share concerns and convictions, and we're looking for appropriate and wholesome ways of, of meeting at the General Assembly. And so we don't hold secret meetings. We, we don't have any strategy sessions. What we hold is a prayer meeting. Uh, and, and there's something that's, that's, that's right about that. We, 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 if, we're, if we're concerned about the General Assembly, and I think that most years confessional men are showing up with concerns, we got to be praying. Uh, it, you know, if we're not willing to get together and devote time to pray, what does it mean that we're confessional reformed men? Uh, it, it's, it's one of the most important things that we can do. And so we think it's important, particularly this is in North Carolina. So a lot of the PCA people, at least in the Southeast or Mid-South can drive, come in the night early. We, we also want to discuss and bring to the floor. We'll have panels. We'll have presentations on issues that either there's overtures before that year's assembly or there's doctrinal issues that touch on our confession and there and, and there's there's a need for clarity to address them and so we're doing that again this year so we'll have panel discussions we'll have not long we will have short presentations then we will sing and then we will pray together we'll pray for the general assembly We'll pray about the issues. Now this year,
2: Mel, we've got Harry Reader coming, right? Harry's coming, and I think um, I think this year will likely be conversations about general issues in the PCA. I know our own Calvary Presbytery is sponsoring a an overture to to make the chapter in the BCO related to marriage. Uh, fully con- uh, constitutional mm-hmm. And I think that's something That we're likely to talk about Have we decided what Harry's going to address yet? Well I think his topic will be related To sexuality and sort of the Intersectionality discussion
1: Understanding biblically How to think in a whole, holistically And biblically healthy way about homosexuality Yes And, and all of those sorts of issues Think of the wisdom and the, the clarity and the courage Harry will bring to that You know what sometimes they get a little wonky there are BCO amendments that are very significant, and I think we may end up having a polity roundtable mm-hmm. to talk about some of the initiatives going on with regard to BCO amendments. People go, wow, oh, that's pretty boring. Well, well, maybe, but uh, in terms it's of— It's important. It's important, you know, uh, uh, how do we pursue unity as a denomination? How do we, how are, how do we maintain our biblical fidelity? That's BCO amendments. Yeah. I mean, and there's some significant ones.
2: Rick, uh, we've talked about it over the years, and Zach, I think we talked about it today together as well. You know, people are always wondering why won't ruling elders come to GA. Well, I think part of it is is that we minimize theological discussion. Yeah. I think ruling elders, if they if they knew they there was going to be a significant theological discussion that they would have a chance to participate in and vote, they would be more inclined to take off work. And to bring their families across country or across the state to go to a meeting. And I so, know for
0: a fact that's true. As I've reached out to my friends back in Philadelphia who are serving as ruling elders and tried to entice them to yeah. GA with a free breakfast, they yeah. said, well, Zach, as appetizing as a free breakfast sounds, I need more of a reason to go than that. And every time I've gone, it seems like a waste of time. Everything's already decided. There's nothing really for me to contribute to. All I do is raise my paddle or whatever.
2: As a child, I, my father would always bring me to general assemblies. Mm. And I remember one year where he said, Son, you're going to come with me into the convention floor and you're going to watch this debate. I was eight years old. <laughs> I made some argument about, well, there's a hotel pool, Dad. <laughs> but Did I, you speak from a microphone in I, that year's debate? I did not. <laughs> But almost 40 years later, I remember the discussion. Mm -hmm. It was about how to reorganize the missions force of the PCA. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting there saying, wow, this is important stuff. And years later, I was grateful that my dad said, I want you to see this. I suspect that if ministers would do that intentionally with their ruling elders and would remind them that, you know, ministers come and go, but ruling elders oftentimes <laughs> live forever. Amen. No, that's absolutely true. It would be a way to remind them of the of the role they play in the life of the church. They're, in a lot of ways, they hold a veto over the denomination mm-hmm. positively. And ruling elders need to be involved. So if, if you're out there and you're a ruling elder and you're thinking about whether to go to GA or not, please do so. Now, this year there's likely to be, I would think, in, on the floor pretty substantive
1: discussion and maybe debate over the recommendations of the study committee on women in ministry yes i think and so i think this would be a very good year for ruling elders to take the inconvenience and come and uh you know i, I generally support the report I, there's some things that they can be approved on it but uh yeah there's some significant issues uh before this year's general assembly for sure
0: yep. mm-hmm. now shifting gears a little bit we've covered I think GRN's relationship to the church. But if we get down to it, GRN, at the end of the day, is a parachurch organization. It's are, made we, up of, mean,
1: are we even an organization? Yes. Oh, we didn't used to be.
0: Or it's a parachurch network, a, however a you want to It's a bunch of guys. It. It's a bunch of guys, yeah. So, but my question then, Rick, and you're involved in a lot of these things, and yes. I've been involved in an awful lot of these sure. things at a much you know, more local level back home. What is the role... Of parachurch organizations that exist primarily to curate uh, particular content or advance particular teaching.
1: Well, I think there's a a, a great diversity of types of parachurch organizations. Here in the upcountry of South Carolina, the Christian Church in the broad sense, not just our denomination, yeah. but the Bible-believing churches are well served by Piedmont Women's Center, mm-hmm. and so it'd be very hard for one congregation or even a presbytery to effectively tackle uh, abortion prevention and ministry to women at risk for abortions uh that's that's the whole community of of the bible believing churches who are agreed on that issue so that's a, that to me is the classic parachurch where uh it's actually people say well, it's not a church well I do not believe the Church of Jesus Christ is circumscribed by a particular denomination yeah and so that would be a great example. Miracle Hill Ministries. We have a. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do drug counseling and or they, things
0: like orphanages and yes, hospitals. all of them. that's a classic. That
1: and so I, I, there's no scandal there. I think where people have concerns and maybe rightly is where parachurch organizations take upon the prerogatives of the church, and then do so in a way where they're not accountable to the churches in an effective way. Yeah. Now I would say that the GRN is not that at all. We're all PCA ministers. Uh, it began really with a. I don't know fifteen sixteen teaching elders in the p c a who were friends. we got an email from, uh, come to Knoxville and let's talk about this and we decide we we're gonna do some things but it's all in this case it's teaching elders within a certain denomination working informally intentionally to promote something they think is important so um i I, I think that uh, uh we're we're advocating a doctrinal and a now more broadly a ministerial philosophy to the denomination from within the denomination. So I, I think it's a, a very appropriate thing for us to do We're I don't go to the General Assembly as a representative of the GRN, I go there as representative of Calvary Presbytery. Mm-hmm. And I'm that's most of what I'm doing there, but like so many others and I, I don't mind them doing it. We've got agendas, I've got lots of agendas and I'm open about all of them. And we and we're pursuing those agendas. One of ours is confessionally reformed uh, Christian ministry and, and theology and message and methods. Uh, yes, we want to advocate those sorts of things. Um, so now the GRN is a pretty modest organization. We have become more organizational. You got a website, you got to put content up. Someone's got to manage it. All that kind of thing. If you're going to do some events, somebody's got to coordinate it. But really, it's a it's a group of ministers working formally but on a limited basis uh, is there a single employee of the GRN whose job is the GRN no it's it's ministers doing things on the side because they care about them
0: mhm so, and men who are accountable to yeah, local sessions yeah. and, and, even and, for what they and, say yes, at GRN and
1: there's we're, we're, we're and we're advoc- we're not reprodu- we're not usurping the prerogatives of the church the church is our audience mm-hmm. we are advocating to the teaching and ruling elders of the PCA, a a confessionally reformed perspective on the gospel and then on the church and life. So, uh, and let me say too, I I think that what happens with classic um, parachurch organizations, I'm on the board of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, have been involved with it for many, many years. It was a radio ministry uh, uh, out of a local church and then it was incorporated 50 years ago by Donald Barnhouse and you start putting on events Um, I'm not really that apologetic for those either. I think that that's... uh, The problem is, if you then say, here's what happens, well, the church isn't doing a a good job of A, therefore we will do it. And then we will then deny the church the right to do what we have taken to ourselves. Now, that's a big problem. Oh, yeah. No doubt. And and I agree, there can be a crass marketing, celebritizing of those sorts of things. But I'm delighted that there are parachurch organizations teaching the Bible... Promoting sound theology, you think of Ligonier. You think of the Gospel Coalition. I'm a council member of the Gospel Coalition. You think of seminaries. Seminaries like Greenville Theological Seminary, our parent church, and, and West RTS, RTS. That's right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's to say, well, they're parachurch church. I don't think that ends the discussion. Yeah. How are they functioning? What are they doing?
0: Good. Thanks, Rick.
1: But the GRN I think is a really good one.
0: Mm-hmm. It's all
1: PCA elders. <laughs> seeking to advocate within the PCA. We have agendas, and we'd be happy to tell you what they are. There is Go to our website, which is, Mel?
2: Well, of course, you're <laughs> listening to our agenda right now on this podcast, uh, gospelreformation.net. Thanks,
0: guys. So
1: come, to, come on Monday night, uh, uh, commissioners from the GA, and let's pray together. Let's sing together. Let's fellowship. We'll have some discussion about some of the issues. But really, the prayer is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Surely... We need to come together before the Lord and pray.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I come from a background. I did not grow up in the PCA. I'm not a son of the PCA. In that respect, I, I came into a PCA church while in college <coughs> and greatly benefited from being exposed to the confession and the larger and shorter catechisms, as well as expository preaching through the Bible under Tim Whitmer's ministry for a number of years and then David Van Meerbeck and, and Michael Quillen. And <coughs> friends of mine... Who, who didn't walk that path with me, mm-hmm. that didn't go in that trajectory, that, that, that are you know sincere Christians and, and dear friends of mine, brothers and sisters in the faith, but who stand in a more broadly evangelical context or charismatic context or whatever. They, they see the PCA, and they, they always um, typically go to one of, one of two places. They either say, well, PCA is really conservative, Right. And and they don't mean anything pejorative by that. It's usually a compliment, theologically conservative. It's a solid Bible-believing church. Or they say, you know, when I see the PCA, these are guys that are maybe more familiar with some individuals and personalities in the PCA, they say something on the lines of, you know, I see a lot of factionalism. You know, there's a lot of differences among PCA people. You have uh, people who really appreciate, you know, such-and-such such pastor here or such-and-such such pastor there or whatever. And it seems that the one thing that everyone in the PCA shares is a commitment to a certain faction within the denomination. And then from our inside perspective, as men who are involved in the PCA, who love the PCA and love its people and its polity, we see that even historically, the PCA was born out of efforts at reform spearheaded by certain groups of ministers and ruling elders within the old PCUS. So is there any validity to this view that the PCA is racked by factionalism, and then, if so, how is the GRN not merely another faction within the PCA?
2: Sac, as my 12-year-old son would say, sure. <laughs> um, but let me say, let me say this about your question: um, the PCA absolutely began in a cauldron of reaction to some cultural things. I think more significantly to some theological drift in the old PCs. I think you can show that the PCA has never been as conservative theologically, consistently PCA-wide as it has been now. Mm. That doesn't mean we don't need to go far further than we are now. But I think that the original generation of PCA founders were reacting to the culture, and I think in the last 44 years, we've been more biblical in our thinking, and I actually think we've been more confessional in our thinking. I think when you talk to first-generation ruling elders they were evangelically minded in a Billy Graham sort of way. They might, they may not have been as, um, they may not have been as informed or instructed theologically as they should have been. There was a lot of reaction about losing our church property. There was a lot of reaction about what's going on in Washington D.C. There was a lot of reaction of, of sort of social gospel liberalism in the P.C.U.S. that people rightly saw as being wrong but I think it's taken a long time for the PCA to work through biblically what we're for, and I actually like the trajectory that we're on. That being said, does the GRN contribute to a faction? Well, if being biblical and confessional is is contributing to a, to a faction, count me guilty in that way. But also understand that I'm trying to promote biblical Presbyterianism within a confessional denomination. Our friend Harry Reader loves to say, that the PCA fights above its weight class. And by that he means PCA people are real salt and light within the broader Reformed and Evangelical world. Just look at the Gospel Coalition Council. A large number of those men are PCA teaching elders. Mm -hmm. That's phenomenal.
1: Two years ago, I didn't go to the Gospel Coalition conference this year. The last one, five of the seven plenary speakers were PCA ministers.
2: It's remarkable, and we're a denomination of three or 400,000. Now, to some of us, that feels like it's it's maybe too big, but if you look at that compared to denominations elsewhere in the world—
0: There's more Jehovah's Witnesses in the United States than there are PCA church members. There are like more
2: they. Ohio State uh, graduates, Rick, and than there are PCA members. And that members. Members. <laughs> is a terrible problem, <laughs> for which we need to
1: pray about that scourge about on our culture. <laughs> well, let, me, let me pick up at that point yeah. and say— uh, Uh, There's diversity in the PCA, but I think that I certainly represent a person who, while I have, I certainly have convictions, those convictions aren't equally shared or applied in all places. I look at the PCA for even the things that I I may be troubled about, and I say, not not only can I live with this— I would choose this denomination if I were
2: starting over again. Rick, you often say the PCA is probably the best choice for people who are beginning a relationship with a reformed denomination. Well, I, we sit at the crossroads of Calvinism
1: and evangelicalism. Yeah. That is prime real estate in terms of effectiveness in our generation. And so uh, we're not overly exclusionistically in terms of our community associations, but we are at the same time robustly biblical reformed Calvinistic um, and, and reformed, you know, in terms of, I hope, our worship commitments and those sorts of things. I think what's going to be interesting in the next five to seven years, Zach, is to find out how many people cannot live with it. Because sitting where I'm sitting in, it seems that there's a constant push to move us to the left. And I would say the three big issues today, and the real issue is, do we accommodate the culture by subordinating the Bible to culturalist dogma and one is gender one of them is is secular uh, sexuality and
2: then the other one's going to be faith versus science now rick when you say push to the left do you mean theologically or do you mean culturally well there's this cultural push that
1: demands a theological response okay. and and it would result in the ordination of women to offices the uh the 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 to be welcoming in a positive embrace of homosexuality, broadening beyond the biblical distinction. Look, we we want we want to be welcoming to all sinners to come to the Lord and repent and, and but at the same time, we're are we going to redefine what the Bible says about sexuality in general, homosexuality in particular, because of the cultural pressure being put on it? So I'm gonna say gender. Sexuality and then evolution is going to be kind of the short way to it. And it's just going to be interesting to see. Uh, uh, it's, things happen, things are said, decisions are made, uh, programs are put on, conferences are held, articles are written. Causing you to say, are there people who want the culture to move our theology to a new direction? Uh, so that we do, are there people who, what they really want is the ordination of women uh, to offices? You see, take this year's study committee on, on uh, uh, women in ministry relationships. Uh, I, I, it's not exactly what it would have been if I'd written it, but I look at it and I say, hey, that's a really good constructive application of biblical authority to this issue. And, and I I embrace it in terms of what it's doing. It's going to be interesting to see if everybody does. And uh, I, I think if there's real factionalism in the PCA, it would be those who really are meeting in secret. It was a well-publicized email that went out to apparently hundreds of PCA ministers a couple, several weeks ago. And it was not a private email about picking up the dog, you know, at the neighbor's house. It was a public pastoral letter talking about politically organizing to defeat their enemies and and to make the PCA a more welcoming denomination yeah now we're going to find out what that means it it may be that we're not as far apart really as we think we are it may be that it's more of a style uh, a way of presentation and I'm 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 hoping that's the case Mm-hmm. It may be that, whereas I will say, I think we will say, yeah, there's some things that were troubled about the PCA, but we embrace the current configuration of the PCA. It's, it's, it's boundaries, it's aspirations. We'd like to influence them, but we accept them. I'm wondering, and, and I, I, there's a concern, I think. You had City Church in San Francisco is a PCA church that leaves the PCA so they can accept homosexuality. Yep. So I think in terms of your question, this is my answer to your faction question. I think we're going to find out. Hmm. It may be that it's not as bad. It may be that uh, there are people who will not tolerate a PCA that does not ordain women ministers and elders and and deaconesses, uh, that that, that upholds biblical creation. I'm not talking about 624, which is my own view, but creation versus evolution, those sorts of things. Uh, that uh, insists on biblical genders, you know, where podcasts are being done now, saying gender is a social construct. No, it's not. And so I'm I'm actually optimistic that the great majority, there's kind of groups, and there's always groups, there's always subgroups, and, you know, our wives know each other, and, you know, Mm -hmm. other people's wives know each other. But we'll find out if there's really schismatic factions in the next five to six years, and I'm prayerfully hoping the answer will be no. I would say if people really, if, I would say to anybody who's listening who says, you know, we're a PCA church, we want to change the PCA, so that we ordain women, we embrace e- evolution, uh, and we are we we go with a cultural view of sexuality. I think their integrity calls them to leave the PCA.
0: Yeah. And like I said, I have friends outside of our PCA circles who hold to those views, and I ask mm-hmm. them, "Well, what do you how would you feel if I came into your church, your yeah. denomination, and or your, you know, your church network because they don't like the word denomination or whatever, and I started clamoring for things that are clearly against what you have as your written statement yeah. of faith or doing things." And they said, "Well, I would say to you, you know, go go to the group that already does those things you want right you know what why are you hoping to transform this when you have a viable option that's respectable and that's you know elsewhere and i say well how do you think i should respond to folks in the pca who are you know calling for the things that you like and they said well give them my number and tell them you know they're welcome to come on over to the rca or the epc and this is not me else. saying
1: you know you know, shut up or get out. Yeah, of, no. Obviously, we're, so, we're, we're, we're advocating things, but but here's the question: We're going to find out. Do Do you accept the PCA in two thousand seventeen, or must the PCA accommodate you for you to accept it? If that's the case, I think you've got to be very careful. Certainly you should not be surreptitious. Yeah. There should not be secret planning. And there, there's indications that this is actually going on. Now, that is troubling to me. I, I personally will not be a part of any secret factional organization
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, where the membership is not publicly known, where the meetings are not publicly held,
0: yeah.
1: and where there's, there's a... Ser- I, I think that I, if that's going on, I pray that our brothers would really repent of that mm-hmm. kind of thing because that is really very troubling that's the kind so, of thing
0: that fragments and destroys denominations historically so
1: we'll we're going to see i, I actually i think that the study committee on women's ministry which i have things that i'm not thrilled about with it on the mm-hmm. whole i think it served us very well it's going to be interesting to see what the response to that is there's going to be people who yeah. want to modify things but are when it when the dust settles on it and I, certainly their current recommendations are not liberal. They're not progressive. There's not. There's no BCO amendments to redo anything. Okay, or can we live with that? It's going to be interesting to see. Issues are going to get settled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people are trying. You know, overtures come up, They're going to go up or down. Mm-hmm. And we're going to find out in the next five to six years. As maybe it's maybe we're the ones who are out of sync. I mean, I've, I've heard people say, Rick, guys like you need to realize that you no longer belong in the PCA. Huh. Well, I mean, if, if, if I, true, I don't then. think that's true. <laughs> If that's true, then I, someday I won't be in the PCA if that's yep. true. But I, I don't believe that, actually. And I, I think that the, that there's a kind of a 80% m- middle shot group that we have a lot in common. And we if we sat down together and talked about it, we would work it out. Now, it's true, partly it's through the seminaries, partly through networks. My problem is you go to General Assembly and you tend to talk to the same people. And actually, I make a personal resolution to make a new friend on the other side every year. I was on Overchurch Committee last year. I made several friends uh, with people who would probably not say, you know, we hang out with Rick Phillips. <laughs> um, and I'll try and do that again this year, because th- there is a factional mood in the air. I'm hoping it's not as bad as it feels.
0: Hmm. Well, brothers, I am I am so grateful that you came in and joined me in the studio, uh, and <laughs> And the sense I get as we talk is, is one of deep, sincere concern for the PCA as a denomination and as a church and the people of the PCA, God's, God's elect, God's uh, beloved sheep and, and, and children, sons and daughters. And I appreciate that as a young man, as a millennial in the PCA, that warm-heartedness, that big-heartedness, that generous spirit. I do not see a spirit of contention or contentiousness here in this room, in our studio right now. And uh everything that I've I've seen from GRN at Twin Lakes here at Greenville Seminary uh confirms uh my deepest suspicion that there's a warm heartedness behind this call to confessional fidelity. There's a Thank concern. You. Mel, would you just rehearse for us again the things that are coming up and the details?
2: Indeed. And and Zach, let me add uh on behalf of Rick and also the session of Second Press, how much we appreciate Greenville Seminary. We've had a deep and generation-long now familial relationship with you guys, Mm -hmm. and we appreciate your ministry in this podcast as well.
1: Can I say one thing before you give the details? One more thing. If you're a conservative, confessional man, do not think the PCA is not a good home for you. I'm starting to have people come up to me when I'm speaking at different conferences saying, you know, if I'm a conservative, confessional man, is there a place for me in the PCA? Absolutely. There's a... You will find broad and deep fellowship, and it's a great place to serve for people with strong confessional convictions. So uh, there's kind of this uh, critique of the PCA that it's post-confessional now. I'm, if it is, I'm not aware of it. The GRN's not aware of it, and all these various things. So if you're at Greenville Seminary or Westminster or RTS or some, you know, one of our seminaries, you're at Covenant. And you say, I, I really feel I want a, a historic, reformed, theologically rather than sociologically driven confessional thing. Do not say, oh, well, I have to look elsewhere than the PCA. I think the PCA is the best place for you.
0: There are plenty of Well, I think, you know, Kevin DeYoung coming into night. the PCA is oh, a yeah. great side of that.
1: And so uh, uh, we should be optimistic. I, the last five years of General Assemblies have made me more optimistic about the, general, about the PCA. And things have happened that I didn't like. But I think that the Bible's being affirmed, and there's reason
2: to be very optimistic. Praise the Lord. www.gospelreformation.net, and all the obligatory, ubiquitous social media <laughs> associated with that. All questions can be answered there, Zach.
1: Thanks. And, and what time is our confessional prayer meeting, Mel?
2: That'll be Monday night, June the 12th at 7 o'clock at the Corey Convention Center in Greensboro. That's the General Assembly? That's week. at General Assembly Week, yeah.
0: Great. And all the details, like Mel said, are online. Thank you for listening, and thanks again to the men of Second Presbyterian Church for coming here and joining me today.